My friends, I'm going to press the pause button on the news and try to answer a question that hangs over American politics right now like a, like a sword of Damocles. Does Joe Biden have any chance of being re- reelected in 2024? With his current approval rate in the cellar, most pundits assume he'll be toast by the next presidential election. At age 81, he'll be the oldest person ever elected president, slightly exceeding the typical American's lifespan. So the conventional thinking goes Biden will be demolished by Trump or a Trump surrogate like Texas Senator Ted Cruz or Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and thereby subjecting America and the world to an even crazier authoritarian than Trump version 1-0. Well, that's way too simplistic. Biden's approval rating is now hovering around 40%. Ronald Reagan was polling at about the same at this point in his presidency when he was grappling with inflation and also the inevitable buyer's remorse that voters feel a year and a half into a presidency. Two and a half years later, though, Reagan won 49 states in his re-election bid against Walter Mondale. Reagan was then 73, just short of the typical American lifespan at that time. Trump's popularity has plummeted since the 2020 election, Uh, a casualty not just of most Americans' outrage at his big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him and his role in the January 6th insurrection, but also of the poor showing and terrifying characteristics of many of his endorsees and recent Republican primaries. The televised hearings by Congress's select committee investigating the January 6th insurrection, those hearings are unlikely to improve Trump's standing with most voters. Besides, much can happen between now and the next presidential election to alter the odds. Not the least, the composition of Congress after the midterm elections, the outcome of the war in Ukraine, and the economy. Now, it's true that many Democratic voters are unhappy with Biden, especially many of the young voters who surged into the 2020 election. They had expected Biden to pass more ambitious legislation on a range of issues, slowing climate change, subsidizing child care and elder care, lowering the prices of prescription drugs, expanding health care, and raising taxes on the rich to pay for all this. In some ways, Biden has had the worst of both worlds. The 2020 election that gave Democrats control over both houses of Congress raised expectations that Biden's proposals would be enacted, but at the same time, a hugely disciplined Republican opposition destroyed almost all of those proposals, apart from benefits to tide people over during the second COVID wave and a deal on infrastructure. Biden also has had to cope with two Democratic senators. Let's be clear, West Virginia's Joe Manchin and Arizona's Kirsten Sinema, who vote like Republicans. Even if Manchin and Sinema were willing to support Biden's proposals, which they're not, they won't join other Senate Democrats in eliminating the filibuster. This means under current Senate rules, at least 10 Republicans have to agree with all 50 Democrats to limit debate, and move to a vote. That's nearly an insurmountable obstacle. An even more basic problem for Biden is that the Democratic Party he knew 
when he was elected to the Senate 50 years ago from blue-collar Delaware, is not the Democratic Party that elected him in 2020. The the Democratic Party today is largely composed of young adults, college-educated voters, and people of color. In the intervening years, many working-class white voters who were once loyal Democrats, they joined the Republican Party. As their wages stagnated and their jobs grew insecure, the Republican Party very skillfully and, and, and carefully and without any principle, obviously, channeled their economic frustrations into animus toward immigrants, global trade, black people and Latinos, LGBTQ people, and so-called coastal elites who want to control guns and permit abortions. These so-called culture wars have served to distract such voters from the brute fact that the Republican Party has zero ideas on how to reverse the economic trends that left the working class behind. The culture wars have also distracted attention from the near-record shares of national income and wealth that have shifted to the top, as well as from the Republicans and the Republican Party's own role in pushing even more to the top through tax cuts and subsidies, attacks on labor unions, and refusals to support social benefits that have become standard benefits in most other advanced nations. I'm talking about paid sick leave and paid family leave, universal health care, generous unemployment insurance, and so on. During his 36 years in the Senate, followed by eight as Obama's vice president, I am sure that Biden became aware of the loss of these working-class voters. He had to, and he must have known of the Democrats' failure to regain their loyalty. Democratic administrations did expand public health insurance, to be sure. That was Obama's great achievement. But they also embraced global trade and financial deregulation. They took a hands-off approach to corporate mergers and growing industrial concentration. They bailed out Wall Street, and they gave corporations free reign to bash labor unions, reducing the unionized portion of the private sector workforce over the last half century from a third to six percent. It was a huge error for Democrats, politically, economically, and one might even say morally. What accounted for this error? Well, I can tell you. I had a front row seat. The Democratic Party's growing dependence on campaign money from big corporations, Wall Street, and wealthy Americans, whose so-called donations, which were actually bribes to both parties, soared during this period. Bill Clinton styled himself a new Democrat who would govern from above the old political divides. He would would triangulate. Remember that? in the parlance of his pollster, Dick Morris. In practice, Clinton auctioned off the White House Lincoln bedroom to the highest bidders. He made Wall Street's Robert Rubin, my personal nemesis at the time, his chief economic advisor. He advocated and signed the North American Free Trade Act, and he opened the U.S. to Chinese exports. Oh, and he also obviously cleared the way for Wall Street to gamble. 
Obama brought into his administration even more Wall Street alumni. And he made Larry Summers his chief economic advisor. Obama promptly bailed out Wall Street when its gambling threatened the entire economy, but asked nothing of the banks in return. Millions of Americans lost their homes, their jobs, their savings, yet not a single top Wall Street official went to jail. So it's no wonder that by 2016, two political outsiders gave dramatic expression to the populist bitterness that had been growing, Bernie Sanders on the left and Donald Trump on the right. At the time, the two of them even spoke the same language. Both of them complained of a rigged system and corrupt political establishment, and both of them promised fundamental change. Now, Joe Biden saw all this unfold. He came to publicly regret his vote to ease banking rules. He never celebrated the virtue of free markets. He has been far closer to organized labor and more comfortable with non-college working-class voters than either Bill Clinton or Barack Obama have been. I am a union man, period, Biden has periodically, repeatedly said. He's no free trader either. Biden proposed relocating supply chains for pharmaceuticals, semiconductors, and medical supplies in the United States and imposing tax penalties on companies that relocate their jobs abroad and tax credits for those that bring them home. He's kept in place most of the trade restrictions that Trump placed on China. During the 2020 presidential campaign, Biden was billed as a centrist seeking bipartisan solutions. But here's the thing. He had big non-centrist ambitions. Seeking to be a transformative president, he openly sought a New Deal-style presidency. Once in office, he proposed the largest social agenda in recent American history. That Biden failed to get most of this agenda passed in his first term was due less to his own inadequacies than to the Democrats' razor-thin congressional majorities and the aforementioned mansion and cinema and, let's face it, the party's own compromised position vis-a-vis the power structure of America. But Biden's and the Democrats' deepest challenge was and it continues to be, voters' distrust of the system. All political and economic systems depend fundamentally on people's trust that the processes of those systems are free from bias and their outcomes are fair. Trump's big lie that the 2020 election was stolen from him has contributed to the distrust, but it is not responsible for it, certainly not solely responsible. Only about a third of Americans believe Trump. The real source of distrust is the same force that ushered Trump into the White House in 2016. I'm talking about four decades of near stagnant wages, widening inequality, a shrinking middle class, ever more concentrated wealth at the top, and growing corruption in the form of campaign cash from the wealthy and corporations. If Democrats retain control of Congress in the upcoming midterm elections, it's possible, although, granted, unlikely given the usual pattern in which the party in control loses control, 
Biden could still become a transformative president in the last two years of his first term if he focuses like a laser on reversing these trends. Even if Democrats don't hold on to Congress, Biden could be a moral force for why the system must be transformed in exactly this way. It's his best hope. It's his only hope for being reelected in 2024.